0: Please be seated. We're going to be in uh, Romans 1. Uh, First, mostly we're going to be paying attention to the first commandment that we read in the Old Testament reading from Exodus 20. But this is kind of the New Testament spin on it. So that's the text that's printed in your bulletin. And um, that's the one I'll read in a minute. I'm going to tell you up front I don't usually footnote uh, or attribute, but. Tim Keller is a minister I really like who has a great book on the subject of idolatry which we're talking about today. And so he probably deserves credit for most of what I'm going to say at least indirectly. Um, I'm not a plagiarist. I'm more of a Tim Keller tribute band. So it's an important distinction I think. <laughs> I grew up playing tennis and um, really liked it and Wanted to make a name for myself with tennis. Probably told some of you this. The ceiling was pretty low for me though. Uh, I never got that good. And eventually I developed a malady I've never heard of from anybody else. I got the forehand yips. So like the first thing you do, you just walk out on the court to warm up, is you, know, you toss the ball up and hit a forehand over across the net. And I would go, you know, like there's a snake in my arm or something. I couldn't do it. and. Uh, So tennis got to be pretty vexing for me, but I kept pursuing it because I wanted something from it. I wanted tennis to to make me okay, to give me a name, to make me somebody. I know I could have chosen better than tennis for that, but that's what I thought, and that's what I tried, and tennis let me down. Um, God could have kept me from getting the forehand yips, but my theory, as if I know what he does, uh, my theory was that he knew I was using tennis as a substitute God. And tennis is a good game, but it's a really bad God. Uh, And what I was doing was using tennis to try to make my life work, whether or not God helped me or not. It was like a substitute for God in my life, the things that I wanted to make me happy and safe and in control of things. I didn't want to have to depend on whether God might or might not come through, so I did what most of us do, and I relied on something else. A God substitute, or what the Bible calls an idol. An idol. And that's what we're going to talk about today in the first commandment. You have no other gods before me is the commandment not to make any idols. Uh, It has other implications. A couple of weeks ago, Luke preached on pride. And the first commandment, having God as God instead of being the God of your own life, that's a big part of the uh, first commandment. The part we're going to talk about next week, Lord willing, is... um, how pointy-edged the idea is that there's exclusively one true God. So, you know, if you want to uh, shake things up and start a dinner argument, bring your friends next week. We'll talk about the exclusive claims of God, but today we're going to talk about idols, uh, our propensity to make created things a substitute for God himself in our lives. So let me pray for us, and then we'll read the scripture. Father, please... um, Open our hearts and minds to you that we might know you through your law. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Read with me, beginning at verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. And this is the word of the Lord. And thanks be to God. So, probably the classic uh, description of an idol is the ring of power in The Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings. Uh, You know, Smeagol, who is uh, totally shaped... By this ring that he's found, the ring of power. Um, he falls in love with it. It's everything he's wanted. He thinks it's going to make his life great. And it winds up destroying him over time. It drives him away from everybody else. It sort of turns him into a sneaky, eavesdropping thief. And he winds up living in the dark. And he becomes disfigured by living in the dark. And he, his guttural noises even change his name from Smeagol to Gollum. And eventually lead him to the cracks of doom. Uh, where having destroyed the rest of his life, it destroys him completely. Uh, The ring of power, but he loved the ring, right? It's his precious, right? His precious, he loved it. And uh, kind of a love-hate relationship, but mostly a love relationship that he had with the ring. That's a classic idol, uh, something we use that's going to make our lives work, something that's going to make our lives okay. And biblically speaking, something that enables our lives to work with or without God. You know, whether or not He comes through for us, I want to make sure my life goes well so I trust other things. Instead of Him, hoping they can give me a life. So, first commandment, no other gods before me, um, it kind of assumes that you're going to worship, doesn't it? It it It's not a question of whether, it's a question of what you're going to worship. You're going to worship... He's saying your worship's only appropriately directed at the true God. And if you worship other things, uh, it's offensive to him and destructive to you. That's kind of the Bible story about idols. And I don't know, when, when we're a less religious people and uh, certainly a less uh, visually religious people, we don't make statues much in many of the American expressions of religion, uh, you think, well, okay, well, uh, you know, I don't. I don't want an idol, I don't make idols, I, I, this doesn't apply to me. You either think, well, I'm either not religious, I don't worship anything, or you think, um, I already worship the true God, so this is not my problem. right? I'm in church, what do you want from me? And But that's not the case, because idols are more complicated than that. Uh, it's everybody's problem. Uh, idols can be a religion that's different from the worship of Israel's God, Yahweh, uh, Idols can be an ideology that you uh, put your hope in and use as your explanatory force for the world. Uh, Usually, and day-to-day, idols are things that we use to make us happy, to make us okay, to protect us, to comfort us, uh, to uh, things that we give our unquestioned loyalty to. Things that if you're asked to spend money on it, you don't think twice, but you spend money freely for the thing that's gonna make you happy and make your life work really well. So we all have different versions of these, different substitutes for God, inside and outside the church. And so that's what we're going to think about today. Sort of the idea is that you're supposed to think about yourself a little bit and unpack maybe where your trust lies. What are you worshiping? Is it the true God or other things? And so hopefully we can think through that together. We're going to do it with two points, uh, one negative and one positive, because that's kind of how these commandments work. There, you know, If the negative is stated, the positive is implied. No other gods before me is the negative. Have me for your God is the positive. Just like if it says don't take God's name in vain is the negative. Hallow God's name or use his name respectfully and meaningfully is the positive. That kind of thing. So we're going to look at the two. Don't have any other gods before me, but then also what it means to have the true God as our God. First, the negative one. Unmasking our idols. Um... If you've been around church long, you've probably talked a lot about idols Uh, with Christians. It's one of these big uh, categories that we use to understand ourselves and understand the world. And it's not that complicated. You know, other people use the language of idolatry to understand their lives and the culture. And it feels like it's an information problem, right? You say, well, hey, look, money's never going to satisfy you. And uh, sex will never uh, make you safe and keep you loved. And... um, you know, well, your career is never going to be all that you hoped it would be to make you a significant human being and worthwhile in your life and make you happy. And you think, yeah, I know that. That just sounds like a commencement speech, right? You know, these things won't make you happy. You need to, you know, set goals and achieve them or something. And uh, and you think, okay, so yeah, I know that. Everybody knows that stuff isn't going to make you happy, isn't going to fill your life. And you're just saying that Jesus can. So, you know, if you're a Christian, you're fixed, right? You should be fine. And that's sort of true, but it's not really true because we uh, we bring our idols with us into the church. you know. And so it winds up that idolatry is a lifelong problem even for Christians who are trying hard to worship the true God. Um, you find yourself trusting in other things instinctively and often. Some of them are good things, things you're proud of, like being a good father, you know, um, that's what makes me somebody, or or reason. I put my trust in reason, uh, because that's one of the highest capacities human beings have, right? To, to be reasoning and reasonable. So I put my trust in that. Or, or religion. I'm very devout in my faith. And all these things are things I'm proud of uh, that are kind of benign idols. They're not like the ones you're ashamed of that destroy you like heroin, you know, or gambling or porn or something where you think, oh, I... I hate that. I'm kind of allured by it, but it's ruining my life. Um, It doesn't have to be good or bad things, but it's usually something that's a a good thing being misused. Something God made that's uh, enjoyable for us, and if we use it the right way, but we've overinflated it. You know, we put too much trust in it. So uh, Tim Keller, blessed be his name, said that there are... uh, they are kind of two levels of idols, and I thought this was helpful. He said you've got surface-level idols and you've got deep-level idols. It sounds a little Freudian if you push it too far, but the surface-level idols are like I'm worshiping money or I'm worshiping you know, sex or my kids or tennis or my career or something like that um, where you just notice you're kind of over-attached to something. He says, but the deep-level idols are what your surface-level idols are working for, like comfort and control and power and approval. And so we use the surface level idols to serve the deep idols. I don't think I've lost you yet, that's good. The, uh, so for, take money for instance, if we misuse money, often it's to uh, serve our comfort. If I have enough money, uh, I can be as comfortable as I want, do what I want to do and be well taken care of and comfortable. Or you might misuse money to have power over other people. I like the influence I have over other people if I have wealth, and everyone defers to the people who have the most money. Or you might use it for approval. If I got money and I scatter it around, I could have an entourage of friends who will like me, you know. No man is without friends who owns a pickup truck. You know, it's sort of that idea. If people need you because you've got money, money is serving the idol of approval. And then or control and security. And I want money to serve my need for security. If I have enough money saved up for retirement, nothing can touch me and I'll be fine. So you misuse the surface idols to, to serve the deep idols. So similarly, you might use sex uh, merely for comfort or escape if you misuse sex. Or you might misuse sex to give you power over other people, which is uh, a lot of what we see happening culturally. Uh, or you might just use sex to try to guarantee that other people will love you, and approve of you, and have that. So we use the surface idols to serve the idols, right? Um, so all you got to do then is become a Christian, and you won't have these problems. Well, that'd be great. And It doesn't really work that way, because what you find is a Christian as you start saying things like this. Um, yeah, I, I know. I, I believe in you, Lord, and I know that you know you take care of me and everything. But if I can't have kids. I can never be happy, right? I mean, I I know I know you love me, and I'm glad about that and everything. But man, if I can't have kids, I can't be happy. Or, yeah, I know the Lord loves me. I know I'm approved by Him. I know I'm forgiven, and I know He takes care of me and loves me and things. But what good is all that if the boys don't even know I'm alive? Right. So these are these are the kind of idols we drag in with us into the church as Christians. You know, things I've got to have this to be happy. Um, I can't possibly hope that just deferring to Jesus Christ and worshiping and serving him is really a path that's safe for me if I want to thrive. Um, I've got to hedge my bets on that. And that's where idolatry becomes a problem for us. We use the creature rather than the creator uh, to be a substitute for God. And you, you can't hardly say it out loud or notice it in yourself or you'd be embarrassed but you can see it in other people pretty easily. They care. They care way too much about their kids, or they care way too much about money, or whatever else. It's hard to see them in yourself, but I, trusting in idols is foolish. They don't. They don't come through. Right? They don't deliver for you. Uh, nobody at the end of their career says, "Wow, my life was fantastic because I had a great career. It gave me everything I'd hoped it would give me." You know, you just don't hear people talk that way. You know, you go to a retirement area, people don't talk at all about what they did because nobody cares, including them. And uh, so the idols don't deliver what they say. You know, they're like drugs that have diminishing returns. You know, they ask more and more from you and deliver less and less to you. And uh, you can see it in other people. Idols don't give what they promised. I had a relative who was an aerospace engineer back when that meant something, William. And uh, the... uh, Early days, like uh, early 60s, aerospace engineer, and worked for Honeywell. And he was the stuff because he was an aerospace engineer until he got laid off. And I remember he would come and stay at our house uh, looking for work because we lived in a bigger city. And uh, you could just see him shriveling. Because every other thing he could conceive of doing for a career was less than being an aerospace engineer. And he eventually never got employed again and drank himself to death. Because his idol was, this career, being an aerospace engineer, is going to do it for me. It's going to give me everything I want out of life. And when his idol abandoned him, uh, he had nowhere to turn. And so, you know stories like that. I'm sure that's not a rare story. I mean, the question for you is, what what is it that you can't live without? What is it that you can't live without? And that's a pretty good indicator for where your idols are. So, that's the negative side. That was fun, wasn't it? I like the negative sides. The positive side is that we're called here to the freedom of having God as our God like actually turning to the true God to be God in your life, which is uh, tremendously freeing for us. Jesus answered the question when they asked him in our gospel reading today, what should we do to do the works of God? Remember what he said? Um, Believe in the one whom he has sent. And really, his answer was the first commandment. Have me as your God, right? Look to me to give you what only God can give you. Have me as your God, um, because I mean the command it isn't just a command to pick the right religion, right? Because the law demands more of us than just some kind of an outward conformity in a box we can check. The law demands that we love God with our whole being, as deeply as we possibly can, which is a lot different standard than just picking the right religion, right? The idea that we're going to love Him and trust Him with everything that we're gonna look to this kind of vital connection we have with him to actually be the thing that makes us happy. The thing that actually gives us our identity and actually makes us an okay substantial person. The thing that we look at and say, as long as I've got that relationship, I really can hold everything else contingently. And if I need to, I can do without anything else because this relationship is precious to me and it, gives me what I've always wanted and longed for and looked to other things to get me. And uh, you don't get that just by picking the right religion, right? You have to have a loving connection with Him, so that when your deep down worries about security come up, you think, I've got a father who loves me who's in control of the world. When you worry about power and your powerlessness, you say, "Um, the God who has come to my rescue and forgiven me, Is the God who's in control of my circumstances and I'm going to be okay in the midst of whatever these circumstances are. Um, The God who loves and approves of me is enough for me so that if other people betray me or reject me or laugh at me, um, I'm going to be okay because he loves me. That kind of connection, right? Um, And that sounds good, doesn't it? You can have a relationship with Jesus that circumstances can't touch where you can have joy even when things are going badly for you. Um, but doesn't it sound a little bit out of reach? Like maybe some super Christian can have that kind of connection to Jesus, but I don't. I mean, when I think about this, my you know, inner monologue is this. So I'm supposed to like make my, my Christianity the main thing about me when I'm a really lousy Christian. So like, can I at least like use something I'm good at? to give me substance in my life and make me okay. Um, but the idea isn't that you're performing Christianity well. The idea is that you're receiving Christianity well. That you're feeling the love that Jesus has given you. Feeling what it means to be forgiven and welcomed by Him. And loved in a way that He'll never turn His face away from you. It's that kind of thing that frees us from chasing after these other idols. The things that, have, that promise us freedom but give us chains. You know? And we can... Be free of those things because coming back to the true God, coming home to Him, uh, can set us free from needing those other things so much or depending so heavily on them. All right? So uh, we're the recipients of God's mercy, and that means instead of thinking I've got to try a lot harder to keep the first commandment and make sure I don't have any idols and trust God because I know it makes Him mad if I don't, instead you come at it and you say. He's willing to have me back home and be my God. And everything I've been so desperate to chase, He's willing to give to me. And He's willing to set me free from all these things that I've trusted and hoped in. And this is really sweet for me. I'm going to feel the freedom and bask in it. And I'm going to be struggling all my life with idols, and I'm going to keep screwing up in this area. But my relationship with Him is never contingent. He knows that. He's going to take me through that process, and He's always going to love me through it so I'm not trying to earn his favor through this I'm trying to enjoy his freedom through this and so that's what the Christian life is a lot where you're retooling your imagination and learning over and over again look the, thing that, the place where my joy really comes from my identity really comes from is Jesus it's not from this other stuff I chase and so a lot of what you get to do in the Christian life uh, that's positive is, being, is uh, iconoclastic um, history majors no iconoclasm Tear down the idols. All idols underfoot be trod, we sang. That's a good turn of phrase. Thanks for letting me indulge you with my hymns. I love that hymn. And uh, Sarah humors me. So, all idols underfoot be trod. We desecrate our idols in Christian joy. And we say to all the things around us that say, you must love and serve and trust me, we say, you're not the boss of me. You're not the boss of me. So this takes uh, shape different ways. You can say no. Some of you don't know how to say no because you think if I say no, I won't have people's approval. I have to say yes to everything. I can never say no because I'm desperate to have people's approval. If you know Jesus and are set free by him, you can say no. You can disappoint people. It's just pretty freeing. You can give your money away. Throw money in the offering box and say, you are not the boss of me. I'm not going to stay up late being scared of you. I'm not going to worry myself to death or work myself to death because of you. Because I'm not afraid of you because I've been set free. You're not the boss of me. I'm not going to worship you. You can turn down a date that you shouldn't accept. right? Because you don't have to be terrified about love and approval in your life because of Jesus. You can turn down a transfer that is a no-brainer because you may have other reasons and you are not immediately willing to bow down and prostrate yourself in worship at the altar of career. You could let somebody else pick up the check at the restaurant if being that guy that always picks up the check is what makes you think you're cool. All right? You can be free of that and accept charity as well as give it. You can fire somebody. I don't mean just for fun, you know, but I mean, if leading in your role means that you need to fire people sometimes, a lot of people can't do it because they're desperate for approval. The approval idol will not allow that behavior, but Jesus will make you secure enough where you can fire somebody if you need to. Commit to a marriage, right? Don't let the idol of freedom and uh, endless opportunity and open contingency in your life Uh, woo you into worshiping it, you can commit yourself to a marriage because you're not looking for a marriage to make you somebody or to meet every need you ever had in the world for love and acceptance and fulfillment. No married people talk that way, right? Um, Happily married people don't talk that way. You can be free and commit to marriage. You can get baptized, right? Even if some people think you're crazy to convert and become a Christian. But you can do that because you don't have to have everybody thinking that you're cool and hip. You can invite people over to hospitality into your home before it's perfectly clean. I mean, that doesn't bother me, but I know it bothers some people. Um, but having a perfect house isn't all that. And you can invite people into your messy house and enjoy having them there because Jesus will set you free from your retentiveness. Now, these are it's fun to desecrate idols. And I mean, it really is. I mean, to say things that have tortured me and things that have enslaved me, I don't have to obey them anymore, that's a blast. It's really freeing. It's supposed to be for Christians. Um, This is why uh, people often do Lenten fasts uh, in the weeks leading up to Easter. Christians, uh, from, you know, after Fat Tuesday, Ash Wednesday, then they'll take something that's a good thing and forego it uh, up until Easter. It's not a rule in the Bible. Uh, it's not a rule from the church. It's just something that Christians have often found helpful. And what they're doing is just this. They're saying, you know what? Here's something good that I really like, but I just want to double down and say you're not the boss of me, and I can do without you if I need to. And uh, you don't have to go telling everybody what it is and make a big deal out of it. Um, I think you're actually not supposed to talk a lot about what you're doing like that. But but it's a freeing thing. It's not just a rigor to say, oh, I'm foregoing this because I want to be, you know, more serious and holy and things. But you're saying, I'm foregoing this because I don't have to have it, because Jesus set me free. A friend told a story uh, about an investment banker friend of his uh, who was converted to Christianity in in 2006 and, uh, and then went through terrible times in the financial crash of 2009. And he said, his friend told him this, he said, if the crash had happened in 2006, I don't know what would have happened to me. I would probably have been one of those people who was on the verge of suicide. said, but because I'd come to know Jesus, um, it happened in 2009, I found that I was happier than I'd ever been in my life. And the crash didn't ruin that. That's the first commandment. That's being set free. Having God as your God, so other things cannot haunt you or demand that you worship them. You're free. And there's a joy in the Christian life. The Bible talks about it. A joy that your circumstances cannot crush. And it feels like, you know, Christianity, you know, graduate seminar Christianity, because it feels like something that would take you forever to aspire to. If you ever were Mother Teresa, maybe you would finally feel that kind of joy in Jesus but it's really supposed to be workaday world Christianity. That in trusting Jesus and being set free from every other thing that would try to rule you, um, that you're set free. That you have joy. And circumstances really can't crush it. And you do see it. You talk to Christians going through bitter trials, and they'll tell you, you know what, I, I'm not crushed by this. It always surprises me to hear it. Because I'm free from the things that could have enslaved me. So I don't, I don't know where you are. Some of you are young and have hope. Uh, still you know, starry-eyed about what the world might give you if you, uh, if you bow down and serve the right gods and you do it well um, some of you are bitter because your idols have already failed you a long time ago that's probably a better place to be in spiritually right? because it's easier to see you need Jesus but for any of us the first commandment is just this it's God's invitation to us to come home to him just come home this is where your joy is you have to swallow your pride a little bit, but come home to me and know that your Heavenly Father will take good care of you. He'll take good care of you. Now let's pray.